This is an Odyssey original. This is KNX In-Depth. I'm Mike Simpson. I'm Charles Feldman. Unless you're driving an electric car, you know all too well that gas prices are shooting up. The prices are such a problem now that President Biden is asking the Federal Trade Commission to look into whether oil and gas companies are being shady. Are they up to anything illegal? We will go in depth. More and more people dying from drug overdoses across the country. Is the rise of fentanyl to blame? And a migrant crisis at the Poland-Belarus border and the possibility of Russian military action in Ukraine raising major tensions behind the old Iron Curtain. Small trial for what could be a major medical breakthrough is going to start in Boston. Researchers will give people a nasal vaccine that could prevent or slow Alzheimer's disease. Who really killed Malcolm X? Two of the three men who were originally convicted of the assassination will be officially exonerated. And goodbye, Staples Center. Hello, Crypto.com Arena. Same building, new name, but with the link to cryptocurrency, how long is the name change actually going to last? No, Nobody is going to actually call it the Crypto.com I'm going tonight to the Crypto.com Arena. Well, when a band comes, the lead singer, let me hear you tonight, (laughs) Crypto.com Arena. It's going to be the Crypt. The Crypt. Yeah, Yeah, I've seen that one, too. It's going to be be like in Sacramento when when we called it Arco Arena. It changed names three times until they literally moved new buildings, and then we finally switched. (laughs) You had to vacate the whole premises. All right, let's uh, start, though, with gas prices and President Biden. Phil Flynn is an energy analyst and author of the Energy Report at the Price Futures Group in Chicago. Phil, thanks for being with us. So, uh, you know, a lot of people kind of always think, rightly or wrongly, with or without evidence, that perhaps the uh, oil and gas companies are pulling a fast one on us. The White House seems to be indicating that they think perhaps they are. And they're absolutely wrong. Okay, I think there is probably more evidence of of Russian collusion with the Trump administration than there is right. about gas prices. None, zero, zippo, and and it, it it really distresses me as an oil analyst to see this type of thing. You know, this is nothing but political cover. Their their poll numbers are plummeting as gas prices keep going higher. They know they're the blame because they're in charge, right? And uh, they're looking to point the finger at blame. Now, last week, of course, it wasn't their fault. It was OPEC's fault, right? Our energy secretary, uh, Secretary Granholm, basically said, well, <laughs> yeah, this is hilarious. Uh, there's nothing we can do about it. Uh, you know, oil prices are controlled by a cartel. Uh, you know, now that didn't go over too well with America. Now they're saying, well, it's got to be the evil oil companies. This is the oldest complaint in the in the playbook by politicians uh, that are feeling the heat from rising gasoline prices. Uh, and, and they're looking to point fingers and, you know, nothing better than an investigation and get, you know, find a villain, the evil oil companies. Um, and I don't think it's going to work. I don't think they're going to find anything of substance. And, you know, it's just an excuse to 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 misdirect the blame that they should be getting for a, a failed energy policy. So then how do they, the politicians, fix it? Because there's a whole bunch of Joe Biden supporters out there going, uh, Phil, you know, there's no dial on the president's desk where he just spins it and sets the price of gas. He can lead. And I, I can tell you how he can do it. You know, the biggest reason we're seeing oil prices go up is because we've ceded control of the global energy supply back to OPEC and Russia. Listen, if you go back over the last 
you know, 20 years, the reason why oil prices have been low, why geopolitics have been relatively stable, it's because of the rise of the U.S. energy producer. We didn't have to rely on OPEC for supplies. They were scared of us, okay? They were afraid to lose market share to the U.S. energy producers. When we backed off of that, now we're seeing all the ramifications, not only rising gasoline prices, look what's going on in Europe right now. Russia's controlling the supply of natural gas to all of Europe. They've already all held back supply to drive up prices. Uh, they're becoming more aggressive on the border with Ukraine. You know, this former, you know, uh, satellite state of the Soviet Union, uh, Belarus, of course, which controls the pipelines of gas to Europe is threatening them to cut them off. And this is only made possible is because we retreated from being the number one energy producer in the world. Listen, I'm all for all forms of energy, but you don't want to burn down your house until you build a new one. And, and as far as alternative energy, we don't have a replacement yet. Fossil fuels are going to be part of our futures. And if we pull back, it's only going to be a lot more expensive and more dangerous. So when I go to the gas station and I'm shelling out $5 or more per gallon of gas, uh, and I want to really curse someone or something, shortcut, who am I cursing now? You know, I, I think it's a bad U.S. energy policy. Listen, ah, okay. I, mean, I know in California, you have some of the toughest regulations in the world. You have refinery problems. Um, and you basically are asking for higher gasoline prices. That's why California is always among the highest in the nation. But this is a nation problem right now. You know, na national prices are at the highest level they've been since, you know, I think 2000, uh, don't hold me to this, 2014. But the thing, the thing that you have to realize is we were in an era of low energy prices, right? And when we send a signal uh, from this administration, don't invest in fossil fuels. You know, it's a bubble. Everybody's going to be driving electric cars. Hey, you know, publicly traded companies, if you invest in fossil fuels, we're going to look at your books and you might be responsible for your carbon footprint. And, and, and then at the same time, you're seeing the demand for oil go up to pre-pandemic levels. And next year, it's going to be a lot higher than that. Where do you get that extra supply that we're going to need? Well, you're not going to get it. You're going to get higher prices. Uh, and that's a risk to the economy. It's a risk to the middle class. And, 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 and listen, I, I understand. They say, well, you got to go green. We got to kill the pipelines. We got to you know, ban natural gas. We got to ban coal. We got to do all this stuff. Okay, fine. But you're going to have ramifications. And you're seeing those ramifications now. You're going to see sharply higher prices. You're going to see more dependence on foreign fuel. And listen, you're, you're talking about the biggest infrastructure package we've seen in this country, you know, probably in our lifetimes, right? So we're going to be rebuilding bridges. We're going to be using a lot of commodities like steel, asphalt, stuff like that. I hate to tell those guys at the, you know, at the White House, that's all made out of fossil fuels. You know, you're not going to be able to do that. So, <laughs> why, you know. What, you know, you know, unless we're going to be making it out of, uh, you know, I don't know what, you know, so at the end of the day, you know, why retreat on fossil fuel production? Listen, you know, the U.S. energy producers are not the enemy. Quit investigating them. Phil Flynn, energy analyst, author of the Energy Reports, the Price Futures Group in uh, Chicago. U.S. health officials estimate more than 100,000 people across the country died of drug overdoses between April 2019 and April 2020. Now, that's a nearly 30 percent jump from the previous 12 months. 
What's driving this surge exactly, and will the overdose numbers keep growing? With us is Lindsay Volo, Vice President of Health, Law, and Policy at the Partnership to End Addiction, and Dr. Daniel Ciccaroni, who uh, researches uh, drug use and its root causes for UC San Francisco. Both of you, thanks for being with us. Lindsay, let's begin with you. Uh, I read a, a staggering figure, which I'm sure you're more than acquainted with this morning, that uh, the number of, of drug deaths in this country now, uh, this past year, exceeds the combined number of people who are killed in both auto accidents and gun deaths. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. There are now over 100,000 um, people who have died um, from drug overdoses. Uh, these numbers are staggering. They're devastating. There's really not a word that can adequately um, capture uh, this type of, of staggering death toll toll, especially from a disease that is preventable and treatable. That is the greatest tragedy here, um, is that, you know, addiction is, is a preventable and treatable disease. We're just not, uh, we're not doing enough, nearly enough um, to, to address it. And, and therefore, we're seeing um, these, these terrible overdose numbers. Are we seeing the rise among most drugs and most drug use? Or I imagine the bulk of it is opioids, fentanyl included? That's correct. Yes. Um, fentanyl is, and synthetic opioids um, are driving uh, the, the numbers, although there are increases in overdoses related to cocaine and methamphetamine as well. Dr. Ciccaroni, uh, are most of these cases uh, people who are aware that they're taking fentanyl, for example, or are they taking other drugs that, are, that happen to be laced with fentanyl to increase their potency? Well, there's increasing awareness that fentanyl is in many drug streams. It's been in the heroin drug stream in the east of the Mississippi River for seven years now. And so um, uh, back in 2014, 15, 16, people were unaware, but increasingly now people are aware. Fentanyl is now moving to the western half of the United States. It's hitting California in a bad way the last two years. Um, and there's increasing concerns that some of the fentanyl exposure is through contamination. Uh, not just of heroin, but also of the stimulant drugs, uh, including cocaine and methamphetamine. We've had discussions on the show before about how much the pandemic may play a role, the stress, the isolation, all of that in, in people using more. Um, how do you see that? Because obviously you can probably point to the links, but then you don't want to use the pandemic as like a scapegoat for something that was a huge concern before COVID was even on the scene. So I have two thoughts about that. One is covid clearly has made it worse. All mental health indices are going in the wrong direction. We've had a rise in suicides. We've had a rise in, in the number of mental health uh, diagnoses, including uh, substance use disorder. Um, but even if COVID had not happened, we're talking about an unprecedented, unprecedented rise in overdoses for the last two decades from uh, opioid pills leading to heroin, leading to fentanyl, and now methamphetamine year over year over year. So this was happening regardless of COVID. COVID has been an accelerant to it. Uh, and even when COVID ends, unless we uh, do as Lindsay said, you know, which is a, a dramatic ramp up in our response, um, the overdose curve will continue going up. Lindsay, what more can be done? Because you sort of uh, suggested that before in your answer. What more can and should be done in terms of treatment? we need to widely expand access to treatment. I mean, particularly for opioids, we have FDA approved uh, medications for opioid use disorder, but they are still widely inaccessible. 
Um, there, we also need to better integrate addiction treatment into the mainstream healthcare system. That is the only way we're gonna be able to get a sufficient amount of treatment capacity um, and also better adherence to evidence-based practices. We've had addiction treatment operating in the shadow of, of, the, of the mainstream healthcare system. Um, and that is why uh, such a large number of people uh, with substance use disorder are unable to access treatment. Um, we not only have to increase treatment access, but we've got to increase affordability as well. Um, despite federal and state laws that require insurance companies to cover treatment or to, to prevent discriminatory coverage, um, we still continue to see a lot of problems with, with insurance denials. Um, and so care has to be affordable as well um, so that people can get access to it. Lindsay Volo, Vice President of Health Law and Policy, the Partnership to End Addiction. Also, Dr. Daniel Ciccaroni, researches drug use and its root causes at UC San Francisco. Coming up, two men convicted in the 1965 assassination of Malcolm X set to be officially exonerated. So who really did kill the human civil rights uh, activist? And America... We love our pies, but supply chain issues and even climate change impacting the ability of bakers to make them. Right now, migrant crisis quickly escalating along the Belarus-Poland border. Situation seems to be getting worse by the day. And then this comes as a concern is growing about uh, Russian President Vladimir Putin possibly planning military action in Ukraine. What is happening in Eastern Europe? With us is Robert English, director of the USC School of International Relations, experts on domestic and foreign politics of Russia and Eastern Europe. Thanks for being here. So let's take the uh, migrant crisis at the border first and uh, the view from, from some in the West saying that a lot of this is being manufactured. Uh, why? Uh, it is being manufactured by the Belarusian dictator Lukashenko, who is um, suffering under economic sanctions that were imposed after his brutal crackdown a year ago. And so by encouraging these mostly Kurdish refugees from Syria to come to Belarus, and then busing them to the border with Poland, he's uh, giving Poland a big headache. There are about 4,000 of them, and this is his way of sort of sticking it back to the EU and maybe um, hoping that they'll ease the sanctions. So are both of these uh, issues, because they're not really conflicts yet, uh, involving Belarus and Poland and uh, Russia and uh, eastern Ukraine, right? Uh, are they all part of the same sort of jigsaw puzzle? Because when it comes down to it, it's all about Russia versus the West again, yes? No, I don't quite see it that way. Okay. I mean, in the bigger picture, they're all problems that come from post-communism, from dictatorial regimes from failed reforms, yeah. But in this case, Putin is kind of more on our side. Putin is known to really detest Lukashenko. Um, Lukashenko also was threatening to cut off gas shipments from Russia to Europe that go through Belarusian pipelines. And Putin was furious about that. He said, no, we're not. You shut up. You have nothing to say here. And on other occasions, too, um, you know, they've irritated each other. Frankly, I think that he's also irritated that... Um, that Lukashenko is a better hockey player than he is, and his hockey success is all kind of but he, all kind of fake. But can't he put pressure then on him, Putin putting pressure? I, I mean, uh, in order to to sort of back down and maybe not bring so many migrants in yes. from places like Iraq and Syria. I think he has, and that's why we're not seeing eight thousand and twelve thousand. It stopped at four. Um, Lukashenko, I think, was privately by the Russians um, told in no uncertain terms, "Knock it off." 
But at the same time, you're right. Putin is taking a little pleasure in this because it's a headache for the West. And frankly, it, it kind of highlights a problem that is a European problem, not a Russian problem. And that is that Poland um, doesn't want to play by EU rules on lots of things. Poland is in the doghouse with the European Union because of their increasingly authoritarian system. They're breaking EU rules. And the last time there was a refugee crisis, um, the Europeans, right, a million and a half came in the height of the Syrian civil war, and the Europeans uh, said, no, everyone has to do their part and share. We take in refugees. It's our humanitarian policy. And Poland took in almost none. So this is kind of highlighting a Polish problem, too. And by the way, we better pay attention, because I'm afraid that in six months there's going to be an Afghan refugee problem when things really get bad under the Taliban, and then Europe will be facing real Afghan migrants. It's really devilishly complex. All right, back to Putin and Ukraine. He's still got his eyes there. Yeah, and I'm, I'm worried there. I hope that, I don't think there's a real invasion planned, but I worry more about something spinning out of control. Um, Putin is heavily armed at the border. The Ukrainian side um, has begun using armed drones. Uh, you can understand that they feel outgunned, but at the same time, the Russian side says, you are now raising the stakes. This is a ratcheting up. We, NATO, America and NATO countries, have warships right offshore in the Black Sea near the contested Crimean area. Um, so it's high stakes. It's pretty explosive. But I think Putin is just trying to you know, force concessions and increase his diplomatic muscle. If he were to actually launch an invasion and try to seize more Ukrainian territory, it would backfire terribly against Russia. Robert English, director of the USC School of International Relations. This is KNX In-Depth. He's Mike Simpson. I'm Charles Feldman. Alzheimer's has baffled scientists and doctors for years. They've learned what causes it, but not how to stop it. Now researchers at Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston are beginning the first human trial of a nasal vaccine aimed at preventing and slowing the disease. Now, it's a small trial that could yield big results. Dr. Howard Weiner is co-director of the Ann Romney Center for Neurologic Diseases at the hospital, and he is also the lead researcher of the trial. Doctor, thanks for being with us. So uh, I get it that this is the very, I guess, beginning stage of, of the trial. There's a phase one and then two, right, and three and so on. But how promising does this look to you? Uh, I think it's potentially very exciting. We've been working on this for over 20 years. It's a new approach, something that could not only treat people who have the disease, but could ultimately prevented in people who are at risk for disease. Uh, it's different that the current uh, medicines being used in that it stimulates the body's own immune system to fight against the disease. Of course, we have to see whether it works in people, but we're very excited that we're finally testing it in Alzheimer's patients. How does that immune system response work in a way that, you know, we can generally understand it if we know not much past, okay, your brain and then the plaque, does it go in and, and sweep some of that out? Well, the way it works is the nasal vaccine stimulates the immune system in the blood. It doesn't go into the brain. So it stimulates the immune system and then cells that are in the bloodstream, the cells go into the brain and the cells that are in the brain clear out the amyloid and affect the other uh, disease uh, areas of the brain. 
Am I correct, doctor, that there are some people who have a significant amount of plaque in the brain but don't have Alzheimer's and, and some people who don't have many uh, much plaque and do, right? Uh, and if that's the case, how do you mark success of this particular vaccine? Well, what you say is right, but that, that's the exception rather than the rule. And I think that we have a lot of blood biomarkers and other biomarkers for Alzheimer's, not only amyloid, we have tau, we have imaging. So we're going to look for the success by ultimately it helping cognition and helping these biomarkers, just like a drug that, you know, lowers blood pressure and show that it, it affects uh, blood pressure. The other uh, exciting thing is we have a blood test that will show that the vaccine is working, that it's actually doing something, sort of like uh, in COVID vaccines, we can tell whether you got vaccinated or not. When you're trying to do something with this, is it trying to stop progression? Is it trying to slow progression, reverse the effects of the disease? Um, and is there one that, that maybe this is going to be better for than, than the others or better at? Yeah, I think that we're trying to stop or slow the progression with any disease. The earlier you can treat, the more effective it is. Uh, you know, cancer, if you have late stage cancer and it's everywhere, it's harder to treat than when it's early. So the vaccine that we're going to start with is first in mild disease. Uh, once we get the doses and see something, it can be in more affected patients. But ultimately, uh, people may not realize, but normal people in their 60s or so may have signs of Alzheimer's that they don't know about, even that their uh, cognition is normal. And there are going to be blood tests to tell who those people are. And if we're successful, ultimately, this could be given to those patients. So both to treat people and hopefully ultimately to prevent. Now, I would imagine that this is not something that is likely to be available to the public if it turns out that it works in the next couple of years. Is this something much more long range? Yeah, what you say is it takes time. We've been working on this for about 20 years. We have to do, we have a trial that'll go six months, another trial that'll go a year or two, then another trial two or three. So if all goes well, uh, doctors could prescribe it, say, in six years from now, five or six years. All right, Dr. Howard Weiner, um, Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston. Doctor, thanks for talking to us. Civil rights activist Malcolm X assassinated in 1965. Three men convicted of his murder. The case was thought to have been solved and wrapped up, but two of the men now said to be exonerated. Possibly by the end of today, prosecutors in the FBI found to have withheld key evidence that would have likely led to their acquittal. Now, this news comes on the heels of a 22-month-long investigation led by the Manhattan District Attorney's Office. Phil Bertelson is the director of Who Killed Malcolm X? That was a six-part Netflix docu-series which prompted the entire investigation that's leading to the exonerations. Phil, thanks for being with us. Uh, so this is an extraordinary story uh, that involves malfeasance, right, uh, by both the FBI and the New York City Police Department when it comes to this. Yes, thanks for having me. And the answer to that question is a, an overwhelming yes. Um, they have found there to have been uh, a gross prosecutorial misconduct in this case. So that's, that's why this decision was reached. And to sum up some of that, it wasn't that there wasn't a lot of evidence to, to connect them. It was actually there was some evidence that, that just straight pointed away from these two. 
Yes, in addition to you know evidence that was available at the time of the crime, um, new evidence was revealed um, by way of an affidavit um, from some eyewitnesses, or shall we say, alibi witnesses to uh, the gentlemen who were wrongly convicted. Um, one of whom showed up at a screening of our our series, um, hmm. you know, and and that's how they found him. Now there was, uh, now correct me if I'm wrong on, on this, uh, there was a third person, right, who was convicted along with the other two. Uh, what happened to, to that person and with the, what appears to be the exoneration uh, of the other two, since they believe that three people were involved, that means that there's a mystery about who the other two were. Well, yes. There's still an unresolved mystery here as to who the other two were. The two wrongly convicted men, uh, Thomas Johnson and Norman Butler, now known as Muhammad Aziz, the only living one of the two, um, will be exonerated um, as a result of this decision. The one person to do time for the crime who actually committed it was a man by the name of uh, Talmadge Hayer, who has served his sentence and been out um, of jail now for the better part of, of 20 plus years. And do we then think that there are two more or do you or, or where are we with that or, or open questions remain? Open questions remain, but the premise of the series was to uh, actually pursue one of the others who were believed to have committed the crime. Um, and um, a man by William Bradley, but you know, in the course of making the series, uh, Bradley passed away. Um, and if you watch the series now streaming on Netflix, you'll see, you know, the result of that um, was for us to turn our attention to who we believed did not kill Malcolm X, and and that was what um, inspired the DA's office and the Innocence Project and the Shaney's Law Firm to to take up the case and be investigated. Now, am I also right that there was, at the time of the trial, uh, eyewitness testimony, but this would seem to suggest that that testimony was was less than than uh, of great quality? Yes, the, the testimony is being called into question in this motion, uh, which, it should be said, won't be filed um, until tomorrow in, in, in the Manhattan District Court. So I am actually not at liberty to say what exactly is in this motion and what evidence is being presented that, that led to this. Um, but my understanding is that um, the prosecutorial misconduct that I mentioned has a lot to do with with the witnesses that were called, were not called, uh, evidence that was available to both the DA and the FBI that was not admitted, um, and all of which uh, I think the DA's office believes, um, you know, would have acquitted these men. How does it feel for you to know this is happening, to have started the documentary looking at somebody and then, you know, they passed away, they died, and then now you've looked at the two who you thought didn't do it, and now the DA is saying, you know what, you're right. You know, it's absolutely... Um, you know, mind blowing, to be perfectly honest with you, you know, as as journalists and documentarians, you know, we do the work, we put our heads down and, and try to be as honest and clear as we can in, in the telling of the story. And in this case, the retelling of history and and re examination of the facts and, and only hope that, you know, at some point 
um, will be heard and, and justice will be done. And in this case, uh, justice may have been delayed, but it was not denied. So we're, we're really gratified. Is there a sort of, to you, moral coming out of this story? You know, I mean, I, I, I tend not to be moralistic about these things. I try to be realistic. I mean, my hope is that um, this will, you know, reopen a fuller examination of the case and, 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 and really get to the bottom of um, um, who did it and who was complicit in doing it and and hopefully bring some measure of, of justice and um, comfort to the, the Shabazz family who has still, um, you know, been unrecognized for the loss of their father um, at a time when they needed him most. People are also drawing parallels. You know, this is an older story, obviously, but it, does it also seem kind of modern, sh shaky evidence, people of color going to jail for something that, that they didn't do in the end? Absolutely. There's no question that, you know, this is a harbinger of things not to come, um, but that are and, um, and, and, and have been. And, and so, you know, to the extent that, you know, all past is prologue this is this is a prime example of that and it is it is satisfying to know that you know we're paying attention to these these aspects of our history and our 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 culture right now um to better understand you know where we all stand um together was it uh, the result of your reporting did it convince you that either a the fbi and the new york city police department at the time uh were guilty of of deliberately with evil intent for lack of a better phrase uh not uh be forthcoming with exculpatory evidence or is it just sloppy bad police work you know, first, I, I want to say, you know, it was not exclusively my reporting. It was the reporting of my producing partners, Rachel Dretson, Nyla Sims and, and, and Shayla Harris, along with Abdul Rahman Mohammed, all of whom contributed to the depth of this reporting. And 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 in and, and answer to your question as to what, the, you know, the intention of law enforcement at the time was, it's hard to say without anyone speaking directly to it. We, we had... Uh, the head of the uh, Bureau of uh, Special Services, Bossy, um, you know, a, a gentleman by the name of Mr. Booza, who admitted to there being some sloppiness in the investigation, but there there was no, you know, mea culpa, so to speak. There certainly didn't seem to be any intention on his part to, to have this be the result. Um, but he did admit that, you know, there was some... Um, kind of less than, uh, shall we say, you know, good police conduct in in, in this case. Um, but it's hard to get to the intent of it all unless you have more people speaking openly about what actually happened at the time. Phil Bertelson, director of Who Killed Malcolm X, six-part Netflix docuseries, which prompted this uh, whole investigation that's leading to these exonerations. Uh, Phil, thanks for coming on the show. You're listening to KNX In-Depth with Mike Simpson. I'm Charles Feldman. Well, it turns out that Staples Center is no more. Well, the name anyway. The actual venue will still be around thanks to a whopping $700 million deal. The iconic landmark in downtown L.A. will be renamed 
Crypto.com Arena, which really flows off the tongue. <laughs> Isn't it great? <laughs> yeah. We'll set the scene with that. Everybody on the Internet saying this isn't going to stick. We're still going to call it stables. Yeah. We'll see what happens. But anyways, the sources say this is a 20-year contract, and it kind of begs the question, is cryptocurrency still going to be a big player by then? With us is Tanea McKeel, crypto and fintech reporter at CNBC. So, yeah, let's start there. It is volatile. It's still new. This is a huge deal. It's getting a lot of attention. But is there, you know, some sort of danger or prospect that uh, they don't even make it through the lease? I mean, there's definitely that. Look, marketing has never been um, my beat, and I, you know, they haven't officially uh, unveiled this yet. So I'm sure that there's a lot that could come undone between now and then. But, um, you know, I, I do think after eight years of reporting, and I don't think that I jumped into it right away, I do think that, um, you know, crypto is here to stay. Whether people are going to continue to call it Staples Center or not uh, remains to be seen. I, I could make the argument for, you know, I'm pretty set in my ways. Are, are they, are they, I'm curious, are they paying the $700 million in cryptocurrency or dollars? Oh, that's a good detail that um, I'm sure plenty of reporters are trying to find out. My guess would be that they're going to be paying it in dollars. And that's mostly because I, I think it's a pretty big leap for a company to say that they're truly accepting cryptocurrency, even if, you know, the executives at the top personally hold it, or even as um, a public company, they're outwardly saying that they're interested in, you know, doing more with cryptocurrency. I think it takes a lot. And there are just so many different banking entities involved and shareholders involved um, that go into deciding to accept cryptocurrency. I think if that day ever comes, they'll at least initially say they accept it, but what they're really doing is converting it to dollars. I'm, sh- I'm sure the web traffic went up through the roof when this got announced, but what, what does crypto.com do? What do they do there? <laughs> um, I love that question because I think um, so many people don't even know, and I was looking at it today, it looks like it's just like any other crypto services company, like a Coinbase or like an FTX, um, they seem to have a pretty extensive array of crypto services, both for, you know, crypto noobs and advanced traders, um, which I actually think is interesting from a marketing play because they have so many other, you know, sports deals and sponsorships um, that have either been announced or are in the works. You know, they've decided to sponsor um, the Ultimate Fighting Championship. They have a Formula One deal. They're the patch sponsor of the 76ers. They've got something going on with Paris Saint-Germain. And it's really interesting that this player, which has kind of been around for a long time, but is still kind of a no-name player. um, And as another side note, I think that's probably why they're sticking with this name, Crypto.com. I mean, the like digital real estate on a domain like that is unbelievable. But I think it's still, like you said earlier, doesn't necessarily roll off the tongue. But um, it does seem like if you've got the money, and it seems like they have it, marketing their brand this hard might be the way to catch up with their competitors who have a head start on customer acquisition. Well, well let, let, let's try a little uh, experiment here. So, so let's say <laughs> let's say you were going to uh, let, let me hear you say I'm going to a game tonight at the Staples Center first. Try that. Okay. Go ahead. I'm going to a game tonight at the Staples Center. Okay. Now try saying I'm going to a game tonight at the uh, Crypto.com Arena. 
I'm going to a game tonight at thecrypto.com arena. It's very 90s. It feels very old school for something so futuristic. I saw somebody tweet, why didn't they put the www dot in front of it if they were going to do this? (laughs) Tanea McKeel, crypto and fintech reporter at CNBC. Okay, so it's Thanksgiving. No, it's not Thanksgiving yet, but it's going to soon be Thanksgiving. You're done with the turkey. You're done with the potatoes and stuffing. And now it's time for maybe the pumpkin pie or maybe the pecan pie, maybe the apple pie. Only there is no pie. Well, who was tasked with bringing it and why did they forget? And find out who that person is. Exactly, never, because they're in huge trouble. Yeah, never invite them again. But maybe they couldn't get the pie. Uh-huh. Maybe there's a pie shortage. Uh, national crisis. Bakeries running into problems getting a hold of pie ingredients. Wheat, flour, honey, berries, all the good stuff. Uh, supply chain problems. Climate change, too, causing adverse weather impacts. So are we in for a future without pies? Uh, Ziggy Gruber is back with us, friend of the show, owner of Kenny and Ziggy's New York Delicatessen in Houston, known for its apple pie, as well as other pies that they make there. Uh, Ziggy, been a while. How you holding up? Or, yeah. Uh, we're, we're, we're holding up, but it's definitely been interesting out there getting the ingredients. As a, I'm, I'm even a, like, for example, for one of our pies, we do, we, we do a pineapple type pie and we can't even get the proper pineapples, you know, like the, like the canned pineapple for that. And, and even the other stuff, you know, to get the proper coconut cream. And even the coconut flakes for coconut cream pies. Um, whenever I'm getting apples, the apples have not been the quality that we desire that we usually get. It's 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 definitely it's definitely been challenging. Well, what is America coming to when you can't get the ingredients to make a decent apple pie? I mean, that's the thing we're supposed to do. Hey, right, that's like one of the things we we're known for is our apple pie. People don't say. Gee, Germany makes a great apple pie. It's American apple pie. So what's going on? Why is it such a problem? Well, you know, you hear so many people. Some people are saying, well, we can't get the labor to to get, you know, the apples from the apple countries and, 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 and bring it to your door. And then a lot of the local suppliers are saying, well, we don't have anybody to work the warehouses. I mean, who knows what the real answer is? I, I believe they have apples on trees still. I believe they have that. But to getting us those apples, um, that is definitely um, a, a, an issue. And not just an issue for that, an issue for all food items. I mean, everything has gone up and crazy. And, 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 and why, I have no idea. And it's not like these are, you know, distributors that are new that you haven't worked with. These are like probably long-standing contracts you've had, and you call in and you say, "Hey, I didn't get my stuff," and they say, "Well, we don't have any stuff to give you." Sorry. Yeah, the, these are people that we've done business with for over twenty years. So, I mean, you're right. This isn't, and 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 they're like, "What? What do you want me to tell you? We're having the same issues." You know, I mean, uh, I I can't even get like like. Potatoes, there's a potato shortage. So wow. I for, for, for potatoes, it's, it's, it's even the sweet potatoes for sweet potato pie. So, Ziggy, all right, so, so we've established that, that uh, it's hard getting pies, but there's somebody whispering into my ear. Our boss is in here yelling <laughs> yeah. out food items. I, and, and he's yelling out that you make really good <laughs> chocolate eclairs. So tell me that there isn't a problem at least with that. No, that we can still make you the chocolate eclair. That's good. Thank we, God. We Thank God. <laughs> so I promise you the world is not coming to an end. 
you know, uh, if anyone has seen our eclairs, they are the world's largest, and they are also the most delicious. He just said that, too, and now the hands, this is how big it is. He's waving around. <laughs> I, 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 tell people, I, I tell people I'm the model for the eclair. So, <laughs> so, but why is there not a problem with that? And there's a problem making, as I said, apple pie. I mean, come on, we can't make an apple pie because, in America? Because that, that, that's, you know, there is, you know, it's funny. I, I, right now, I mean, we're still making shoe pastry. So that's from flour. But, you know, there is a flour shortage and it's coming. You know, on certain grains, um, you know, we, we had to modify. We couldn't get um, quinoa flour which we make with for our multi-grain pancakes. So so certain flowers, but they are also telling me that the regular flower, there might be a shortage too uh, down the road. So far, there hasn't been, but that would be definitely challenging. Do you just kind of go in now week by week and, and it's almost like, okay, let's spin the wheel and see what we're going to have a hard time with when we place these orders because it's always going to be something now is how it kind of feels? Yeah, a hundred percent. Because I, I hate Mondays. Because first of all, Monday. <laughs> we all my, do. Yes. My, yeah. uh, Welcome uh, to the Monday, club. <laughs> oh yeah, Monday comes in and they start telling you, okay, you know, this went up, and 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 it used to go up fifty cents. Now it's two dollars a case. This three dollars a case. Nine dollars a case. I look at it, I mean, like, what are we dealing with, gold, or we're we dealing with commodities? <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. And then everyone's telling you, well, we don't have that. Then the fun game is, thank God we do business with a lot of different purveyors. Now i got to call up everyone in their brother to find out who has this this week. Who do, has that? Do you, do you get a lot of patrons? You know, you're 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 really sort of uh, tried and true customers. Who are, are they getting upset that they can't get some of the things that they are used to getting? Well, they're actually very understanding if we don't have something. But we have been fortunate that we haven't been out of too many things, but we have definitely jumped through hoops to get the ingredients that we need. Do you see it getting better? at all or is this kind of like holding pattern we mentioned you know pandemic shortages are one thing we hope that'll wane but i mean if we're going to be dealing with the storms and bad weather and all this other stuff because that's going to just affect you no matter what you're trying to get at some point there's going to be something that's that's trouble yeah well i mean is it going to get better i don't know if it's going to get better i wish i was a mind reader in that respect but um you know, I, I hope it gets better. It ne- just put it this way. It needs to get better. Well, it's a, it's a good thing that the Pilgrims uh, Thanksgiving time had eclairs. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. All fine. All right, Ziggy. So, <laughs> Go ahead. I hope everybody gets all their pies and everything out there in California. <laughs> At least one thing you don't have to worry. The weather's always good there. That's true. Yes, we will look out our windows. All right, Ziggy Gruber, thanks for talking to us. Owner of Kenny and Ziggy's New York Delicatessen in Houston. If you're in Houston, stop by and uh, buy whatever he's got because he's working hard. And they have the egg clairs. There you go. It's just the pies that you know are a problem, but nope. Pies Hooking for flights. Thanksgiving? Or? We'll get pies. There will yeah. be a, we'll, we'll dispatch search parties. There shall be pie. Don't yes. worry. <laughs> okay, more in-depth tomorrow.